0: Welcome everybody in the off the ball network fandom and beyond back to your now Wednesday night affairs. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, after a brief two, technically two and a half week hiatus, the bunts and bruises podcast is back and better than ever. As always, the Iceman is here with you to kick off season two. You know, we're just with a bang. We have an outstanding show ready for you guys today. We, we had a little bit of a break, you know, I had to go back into the war rooms prep topics guests we definitely were trying to plan a guest list proper for the first time in show history on a week by week basis you know we're 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 stepping it up here at bnb and i of course cannot do it by myself as always joining me my man my guy the don the don of baseball who one day despite the fact having never played in the majors he should be inducted into the major league baseball hall of fame my guy james barcia james how we doing Jerg, I cannot be more excited than now,
1: because let me tell you, if everyone thought season one was something, season two, oh, forget about it. But regardless, here we are on Wednesdays now, like you said, even at 7 p.m. So we didn't keep anything the same. We changed it all up here. We knew we had a great idea. We said, how can we make it better? And you're about to find out coming season two. How else to make it better though than what we got planned today, Jerk? You about to tell me all about this craziness between the, the hurricane and Carolina, I believe it is. I don't know, but you're about to fill me in. But not just you, you're gonna fill me in with personally. One of my favorite. If not, he's number one in my list. If he was a fancy football player, he is Christian McCaffrey. Jerk, go ahead. I'm gonna let you continue because you are the intro kick. So go ahead, take it away, man.
0: So Like James alluded to, we got, of course, you know, being the name Bunsen Bruiser, we got baseball and hockey news today. We're going to start off with some hockey news with fun happenings between the Montreal Canadiens and the Carolina Hurricanes and a little bit of a squabble that happened over the last week and a half or so. And then after that, we're going to be talking about the NHL's important decision regarding players in the Olympics, which has been a long time coming for some fans. And we're going to then transition over to Major League Baseball, where we're going to hearken back to the trade deadline a little bit and talk about some of the names that were moved from there and how just just a quick uh, review of like how they've done since you know any buyer's remorse on a couple of those deals but like you said james we can't do it alone here and what better way to start off season two than with one of just the best guests possible to have on friend of the show i think everyone knew that for the first time he came on but uh, absolute friend of the show Spoken a a lot of hockey with this guy. He came on, wowed us with his baseball stuff. He is a just excellent, excellent writer. One of the best, actually, funny enough, regarding Carolina and Montreal, he had a fun little article that I'm sure we're going to get into when we go into the discussion about RFAs and the NHL. So this is just, you know, the perfect guest for the Bunsen Bruises podcast, any podcast really, but for our podcast in particular. And we welcome him back. One of the best talkers on the microphone with us logan lockhart logan good to have you back man
2: Jurg, you're very kind thank you for the intro james it's great that i've been compared to christian mccaffrey that was maybe the greatest honor of the show it's great to be here for season two episode one but being compared to christian mccaffrey that may have topped it right there so james Jurg, thank you for having me of you course. Know what
1: I found out, I figured let's just double it up. So we had to go with the guy with the same letter in his name, LL. That's it, because he's a legend, it's Larry Legend over here with Logan. So there let's just keep it going, season two, baby. I'm ready. Two's everywhere, Jer. Two's everywhere.
0: Two, two's everywhere. Hey, a, a J in my first name, J in Your first name, LL. It, it's meant to be. It's meant to be. It'll only. It would only be more funny if it was on episode two as well. But we have to bring a Logan on for episode one. Come on, we got. We got to start out hot. We got to set the standard for what this season is going to be. And we're gonna get right underway with everything here. Like we talked about the little topic rundown we did before. We're let's let's not you know banter any further. Let's get straight into it here. Logan, the Carolina Hurricanes and the Montreal Canadiens late in the NHL offseason. I hearken the you know late August, early September of the NBA and the NHL offseasons to kind of a dead period kind of for both leagues, where it's like there's still a little bit of news here and there and teams are preparing, but nothing really that important happens for the most part, aside from a couple professional tryouts in terms of the NHL. And maybe the NBA, like a two-way contract, is going to get signed here by one of these teams. But the Carolina Hurricanes—they did a little bit of a favor for us here, you know, in recent weeks with the signing of the Montreal Canadiens youngster, no, not former Canadian, Jesperi Kotkaniemi, to just a one-year deal worth six point one million dollars. Now, on the surface, we could—we're going to, you know, break down what it means for hockey terms in and of itself because that situation has only just a couple days ago has finalized itself. So we have the definitive answer of where Kotkaniemi will be playing. It is Carolina. But we're going to break down some of the details that led up to it because it was quite the story, Logan. So just give to so the people know from your perspective of everything that played out, just like what was your reaction to it as we were learning in the early stages of it? Like, oh, Carolina's having some fun on this one.
2: Well, my reaction, first of all, when I first saw it, I'm saying to myself, okay, it's an offer sheet. They don't happen often anymore, but it's an offer sheet. When I saw the signing bonus, which was $20, literally it's $20. And because of that, Sebastian Ajo wears number 20. He was offer sheeted by Montreal two years ago of the Carolina Hurricanes. And people are looking at this as almost a payback offer sheet for what they did two years ago. That's when I said to myself, OK, the pettiness is real. It's a $20 signing bonus. So, you know, Don Waddell in Carolina, he can say whatever he wants about. No, it's not revenge. It's not payback. But the $20 signing bonus has got to be. One of the great comedic pieces I've seen in the NHL offseason in a long time. And like you say, in this type of offseason, especially at this time, August, September, it gets boring. You know, it gets so boring that we're sitting here saying, when's football starting? Because honestly, the offseason is so boring. That's what happens every year. That changed, though. And I think we need to see more offer sheets. As much as GMs dread them and as much as there's a lot of integrity that's questionable, a lot of the times, I think it's interesting, and I think that what we should also do for people who aren't aware of offer sheets in the NHL, you know, we should compare different cases in different sports. It would be like, you know, imagine if um, Kevin Durant earlier in his career was a restricted free agent, and a team said, "Hey, let's offer sheet him and see if, at the time, Oklahoma City let's see if they'll match it." Right? It's one of those things. Now, Koki is not the player Durant is, but the point is is that offer sheets could be very significant absolutely
0: you know just we're going to we're very entertained by all the off ice stuff and we'll get through that part actually real fast here so like you mentioned 20 signing bonus is just you know one of the ways one of the many stick in the cross of mark to mark bergevin who by the way was actually i don't know if he was if he just got on vacation or he was about to go on vacation at the time just before the offer sheet was made to Kalkaniemi and this actually forced him to delay that in order to handle everything because There is in the NHL, when it comes to restricted free agents, when a offer sheet is accepted by an RFA, there is a one week period where the current team of that player is deciding, like, are we going to match the contract, you know, verbatim, or are we just going to let that player go? And the Canadians, as expected, they took the entire week to decide it. And ultimately, they made the decision to let him go. Uh, I will say in terms of how entertaining Carolina was with this, along with Bergevin not getting to go on vacation, along with the $20 signing bonus, the the two best things to me was on Twitter, the Hurricanes Twitter, not only did they put the signing up in English, they put it up in French to really piss off Montreal Canadiens fans, which was just, it was beautiful. But then to me, like the, just the, the, the bow on top, the cherry on top of the Sunday was the fact that Don Waddell, if you read his statement, of the immediate signing of Kotkiniemi Word for word, it was the exact same one that Bergevin gave of Sebastian Ajo a couple years ago. So it was just a pure, and this is not a bad thing, by the way. This is the kind of stuff I love. It was a pure petty power move by the Carolina Hurricanes. And this one actually succeeded because as we've alluded to, the offer she was accepted by Kotkiniemi and a week later, it was official. The Montreal Canadiens were going to let him go. And they allow him to go. So actually, before we talk about the hockey terms of it, James, I want to bring you on in this. When you – because I think James was at the tail end of his vacation when all this was happening, and I told him about it. He was like, what the heck is going on? James, what is your reaction to the whole RFA situation that that happens in the NHL? Because kind of like what Logan alluded to, RFAs in the NHL are – it's a whole different beast compared to what it is in the NBA and the NFL. And I think Major League Baseball is probably the closest one in terms of protecting young players – but is still nothing to the same extent as what the NHL has in their system.
1: All this is crazy. There's so much going on right now in this whole story. You got $20 over here. You got the pettiness of the Kane's Twitter posting in the front. I don't even know where to start, Jerry. This is insane. I had to break out the glasses. You see, that's it's unfortunate. I'm getting old where I need glasses to read a computer. But regardless, this whole thing is just crazy, but you're right, especially the restricted free agent part. I'm trying to get a full grasp of it. When you guys are saying they're offer sheeting somebody, why is it not as common anymore in the NHL? Because I know that was the first thing Logan said, so that's my first question to start off.
2: I guess you, I can call it unwritten rules almost in, in a way. There's a code. You don't that player belongs to the team, and another general manager. Yes, they can go offer sheet somebody, but it's almost like. Um, you know, an F you in a way it's, you know, we're going to do our best to put you in a very difficult position and it's not good. You know, if you were a general manager and I was a general manager and I offer sheeted one of your players, you wouldn't be too happy with me. And our relationship would kind of be hindered because of that. And guys don't want to do that. You know, it's a business and in work and in, in the real world, you know, you want to keep good relationships with people and offer sheeting someone is probably not the best way to go about it.
1: All right. I get that. Okay. That makes a lot more sense. Now, I don't know though, me, especially me, you can ask Jurg, I'm like the king of petty. I still be <laughs> looking at my girlfriend because she washed my Uggs one day and I was just like, but they were so clean and then you got the color out and she's going to kill me later, but that's a different story for a different day. Uh, so my next question is the $20. Someone break that down, please. Because <laughs> I'm trying to wrap my head around this. Like, he, wait, he signed an offer sheet that the signing bonus was $20. Like, It doesn't sound like a smart move for him either. So... Can someone break that down in turns for the casual fan as well, please? And yes, we are back, and we're better than ever, damn it.
2: The $20 is supposed to represent the number that Sebastian Ajo wears on the ice. He wears the jersey number 20. Montreal offersheeted Sebastian Ajo two years ago. So just as a payback and to be petty, the signing bonus on this contract for Cockney was $20. It's a very good contract. Forget the signing bonus, six point one million. That's very rich. That's I I know that
1: much in hockey. I know they're you know the numbers are comparable to the NFL, but that's kind of what makes it more related to the NFL because they're not making this restricted free agent money like Jerk mentioned in the MLB. So there's a whole lot going on with this situation. I'm still trying to fully get a grasp on it, but it seems like this has to be. Probably the most petty free agent move out of the entire NHL free agent period this year, if not like the last 10 years, most likely.
0: Honestly, because like Logan said, it is complete counter to what Montreal tried to do a couple of years ago. Because as I mentioned before on the podcast, the Carolina Hurricanes, in terms of spending. They know they have a ceiling to what they're allowed to spend because when you look at websites like Cap Friendly, like, yes, the first thing you see is the cap hit, but remember, cap hit and true salary for a season are two very different numbers in regards to NHL contracts. So, when the uh, Canadians offered Sebastian Ajo that contract two years ago, it wasn't necessarily the cap hit that Carolina had a problem with, it was the salary structure of the deal. Earlier this offseason, with the Seattle Kraken signing Philip Bauer to his contract, they made it, I believe, a front loaded deal. And the NHL actually told them that they need to restructure it a little bit because of uh, rules in the new collective bargaining agreement where it's like the later years, it can only be a certain amount more percentage wise than year one. So stuff like this is actually relatively common, like teams actually, I think more so in the NHL than a lot of the other sports, they need to care about the minutia of yearly salaries when they're giving these kinds of deals out. And that's ultimately what that what some of those numbers represented. Uh, but of course, you know. The number one thing, just the pettiness. I love it. I just, I love it so much. But uh, so moving away from that for a second, let's actually move on to the hockey aspect of it to finish it off. I think it was a great deal when it first happened. Like My opinion on the situation changed from when I first heard about it to essentially the day or two before, where when the offer sheet was first submitted and accepted, I thought, okay, Montreal... They only have $4 million in cap space. So yes, they need to make a move, but you got to keep talking Miami right? For some reason, I just don't understand why it didn't end up working out. His rookie season was pretty good. You know, he played in 70 plus games. He had a 34, 35 point season. He showed some you know, signs early on. And for a fact that honestly, back in his rookie year, I thought they brought him up too early and he was still able to put up that solid of a season. It shows you like there's talent there. Year two, I believe there were some injury issues. Like he didn't get to play a full season and he had a rehab stint that he had to do in the AHL. And then this year as well, didn't necessarily play the whole season, didn't play great. Mind you, I think, you know, it goes to both the player and the team. But then in the playoffs, these last two times where we've seen Montreal, he's scored nine goals in 29 career playoff games. So a third of the time he plays in the playoffs, like every third game, he's going to give me a goal by the numbers. That's pretty good, in my opinion. Now, is it six million dollars a year? Not necessarily, but because it was just a one year deal. At first, I thought, okay, Montreal can swallow this. They could deal with it just for one year, and then they go from there. But then all the details come out. I believe a day or two after this happened, Logan, in Montreal, it was reported that Jonathan Druin was apparently going to start, you know, having some time at center this upcoming season, potentially. Uh, That combined with the idea, uh, when it comes to RFAs, when you match a RFA offer to one of your guys, so when you match an offer sheet, you cannot trade the player for the whole first year. It is a legitimate no movement clause, not like the current no movement clauses where it's like, OK, pick here that you don't want to go and we may send you here. No, no, it was an ironclad. He will not get moved. So because it was actually a one year deal, Montreal essentially was going to sign Kotkinemi to one year and they can't trade him for anything. Right. And then you add in the fact that had they tried to qualify him next year, the base qualifying offer would have to start at 6.1 because that was the cap hit assigned by Carolina so ultimately this was just a masterful deal by the Carolina Hurricanes to do everything they could to make it so Montreal wouldn't match the contract and at the end of the day they didn't he goes to Carolina which I actually saw reports it was either earlier today or yesterday that they're likely going to play Kotkaniemi on the wing now instead of that center which I think is not a bad decision at all considering the talent in that forward group you could stick him anywhere I think it'll be a I think he's going to play with someone talented there whether it be Aho, Svechnikov, uh, Teravainen on the opposite wing like, there's potential there where Kutkin Amy could find some uh, some success here. So I think overall for both sides, you know, you you could see the reasons why it was done. I think while it was pettiness for Carolina, if he starts to play pretty well, they can extend him immediately this upcoming season. And I think January 1st is when you can re-sign up player, players to uh, from that you got in the offseason for just one-year deals. And they could probably re-sign him to a four- or five-year deal that's worth less than the $6 million a year cap it. So that's a win for Carolina. And then for Montreal, they got an extra first and third-round pick. Which they then used. So let's move on to some of the aftermath of this deal. They used that first round pick conditionally in a deal and a 2024 second rounder with the uh and they sent that to the Arizona Coyotes for a Christian Dvorak, who can play on the wing, but he the key part is that he can play center. And Logan, I think this was the key thing because a lot of teams, when some of this stuff happens, they don't always have a backup, right? And I think Montreal, you saw in the offseason they lost Philip Donal early, and now with this Kot thing, you got worried. It's like who the heck is gonna play behind Nick Suzuki? And then they, they pull off the Dvorak deal. So Logan, I want to throw it to you. Like how how heady of a play was it for Montreal? They wasted absolutely zero time. It's like the second it was confirmed Kotkanyami to Carolina, Dvorak to Montreal within the next like couple hours. So, like how how heady of a play was that by the Canadians?
2: I think Montreal came out really well here. And they did their best under the circumstances and the position they were put into. Like you said, it was a tough situation with not only the money, but what are you gonna do at center now? Kotaniami, this is a guy who was drafted in twenty eighteen. So we're not talking about a veteran player here. This is someone who's still going to grow. So what do you do? I think they came out well. I think the Borak is a real good player. Now, it's interesting in Arizona. He played up Connor Garland for a lot of, and really produced. He's not going to have Garland anymore. He's going to be on his own in Montreal. We'll see how that works out. I think the fit in Carolina for Cockney Emmy is good on the ice. And remember, the Hurricanes, they had money to play with. You know, and the Delcovich, he went to Detroit. Dougie Hamilton went to New Jersey. There's a lot going on there where they said, you know what, we can do this. We can bring him in. I'm sure that, um, speaking of the Olympics, which we'll get into, Team Finland, Kakiniemi, Sebastian Aho, that should be a pretty good fit as well. So there's a lot to like about the fit, but I think Montreal came out great. I think the deal to get Dvorak, it was smart. You uh, basically didn't give up anything because you got a first-round pick from Carolina I think it's a good move. And Montreal, they also have flexibility. Shea Weber, that's a big cap hit. That's not going to be on the books this year. He's injured. And Carey Price, he's had injury concerns here and there. We'll see what happens to him. But I, I think it's flexibility from both sides. Montreal came out well. Carolina, they got a lot to deal with now with Kakaniemi. What's he going to get paid after year one? We'll see. But I still like to fit on the ice strictly.
0: Yeah, when, when you talk about, you know, a situation like this, when, when we go past all the fun of it, you could really say for both teams, like, it just makes sense, right? For Carolina, you had a young, talented player who he's, he's like 21 years old, right? There's so much room for him to grow, especially with the talent there. Like you said, he's going to play in the Olympics with one of his teammates. The chemistry there is just going to grow more. It, it's just one of those things where it's like for Carolina, this is, to me, this is low risk right here because it's just a one-year deal, too. You didn't sign him to a three-, four-year deal at that cap. It was just one year and then you can extend him to the earliest convenience, potentially at a lower hit. So there's so much good there for Carolina. And like like we said with Montreal, it is very rare, I think, across sports where when a team loses a player of Kotkaniemi, whether it be based off of talent, potential, whatever you see, for them to like not waste any time, it's almost like Bergevin kind of planned this like halfway through. It's like, okay, we're going to let him go, and then we're going to make this deal. Like, I, I'd imagine this deal with Arizona was probably set, like, at least two, three days before we, we saw it reported. I just think it was a masterful stroke by the Canadians overall and just a fitting way, honestly, for the whole thing to end. And, you know, it, it was a nice little debacle while it And then when all the dust settles, it's like, you know what? It was good for all sides. It, it really was. Uh, Logan, because I mentioned at the top, I want to, you know, you to talk about it a little bit, but the article you recently put on Fansided of, you know, crazy RFA stories in the NHL, when you were doing that article, like, can you just talk about, like, how fun it was to kind of look back at some of these restricted free agent offers? And it's like, wow, some of these deals were crazy. <laughs>
2: It was a lot of fun because you go through it and you see a lot of big names, you know, wait, he was off because a lot of them just get swept under the rug because the team matches it and we never hear about it ever again. But in some cases that, you know, a lot went down and, you know, back then there would be an arbitrator that would have to step in and decide what the return would be in the compensation. And in some cases, like we saw with Scott Stevens, he was the compensation in, in different deals, you know, so it's not like what it was then. Now, there's set compensation. If it's a certain cap hit, you get this draft pick or that draft pick, but then it was different. I mean, you have someone literally, uh, you got someone, an attorney who's going to decide who you're going to give up and give to another team. It's really interesting, but it was a lot of fun seeing all the big names and seeing some of the desperation by some general managers. You know, it's funny. We're in August. You mentioned things slow down. That desperation sometimes ramps up when things slow down. Okay, let's make a move now, right? And uh, going through that, that's what I saw.
0: I can say with experience, when you have too much time in your own head to think, not necessarily a good thing. Uh, But, you know, moving on from the unwritten rules, because like, you know, we we kind of have alluded to and Logan mentioned before with RFAs in the NHL, it's kind of unwritten. You just allow teams to work it out with their players. That's honestly like we're talking about Montreal this entire time. Vancouver still hasn't signed the uh, Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes yet. <laughs> like that in and of itself is a topic for another time right there. Like they, they've had the entire offseason, they still can't figure that out right now. So that, that's something two, three weeks from now we got to revisit that situation because what the heck is going on Vancouver, but you know, from unwritten rules to now written rules. So let's talk about it really quick. The Olympics, the Olympics are going to be way more interesting now, upcoming for 2022 because nhl players will once again be allowed to compete so kind of like what we talked about before uh following the 2014 sochi olympics i think uh a year or so after it happened if i'm not mistaken within that timeline there was a rule by the nhl and gary bettman that nhl players would no longer be allowed to represent their countries in international competition while they were on an nhl team obviously for former nhl players like free agents there was flexibility there Uh you know, yarmir jagr the ageless wonder he does what he wants so he probably was still playing at that time uh, but ultimately, it was a point of contingency years ago now at this point, about five, six years ago, because of injuries that were happening to players. Particularly, I remember in, I think, with Team Canada, is like Steven Stamkos, I remember, got injured. John Tavares, I don't know if, it, if he just barely avoided an injury or if he was also injured as well. So like the whole point of the NHL doing that years ago was to avoid a higher risk of unnecessary injuries away from the teams because teams were very upset after the, those 2014 Olympics of how some of their players came back they they were tired because while the league takes a break during the olympics they have like a a couple week you know time off while it's nice for a lot of the players it's not so nice for the guys that were there like they get guys back who just played you know against the best talent in the world right so that was a whole issue the entire time and now just recently the decision was made for the nhl to allow their players to compete again so logan i'm gonna throw it to you immediately when you heard this, like we both could only imagine how so many hockey players were like cheering of this. Like, yes, I get to play internationally again. Like how how good of a decision is it for the league to allow this to happen? Because like and we'll probably talk about like, talk about a little bit, like even though I forget what happens, but like ma- uh, Major League Baseball has the World Baseball Classic. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like I don't see or hear, you know, general manager saying it's like I don't want my guys to play in that. You know, they're they're allowed to. So kind of like for the NHL players, how how important is it for them to now be able to play for their countries again?
2: It's important for the guys like Connor McDavid, Austin Matthews, you know, it it was getting a little worrisome that they were never going to get that moment like Crosby had when Crosby was relatively young in 2010 and Olympics in Vancouver, and he had his big moment there for Team Canada. So he got his chance. So it was getting worrisome. Now, there are a lot of issues associated with it, though, the NHL, the IOC, who's going to pay for what? Who's going to pay for insurance? The NHL definitely doesn't want to do that. There's a lot going on there. So, you know, it's good. It is. I thought the Olympics in 2010 on the North American smaller ice, that's when it was dynamite. The competition, it was an an incredible tournament. And in Sochi, I was a little more mixed on it. It it got a little um, tough to watch at some points. The big ice teams were playing real defensive in particular team. Canada just found a formula where it was just way too dominant. No one was scoring on team Canada. Um, So it was tough to watch at points. So we're not going to be on that North American ice in 2022, this coming February, but I'm hoping that it is a return and, and it is a bit nostalgic for people who remember 2010, even Torino in 06 and 2014. And we're going to see a lot of new faces. This is what I'm excited about. Matthews in the team USA Jersey, McDavid and McKinnon who didn't get to as well for team Canada. Right. So there are going to be new faces as well, all across here. And and for, the other countries as well. And and Russia has a bunch as well. We're going to see Kucherov. Uh, There's a lot going on.
0: Yeah. I just saw a picture like a day or two ago of the Tampa Bay lightning. And it was, it was Vasilevsky. It was Kucherov. And it was Sergachev with the Stanley cup. And I just, uh, in that moment, I'm like, Oh, Russia has some guys on that Olympic team this time around. They're going to be very dangerous. Bars, I want to throw this to you really fast. When it comes to international competition, of course, we just had like the, the summer Olympics pass, and, you know, not, never really anything in the Summer Olympics when it comes to this. Of course, the NBA it was like an old rule where it's like they didn't allow professional players for a while. And then they finally did. And 92, of course, was the dream team at all. So wh- when you hear this, that the NHL is finally allowing their players, like they're going to give them the right to play internationally. Again. Like, what, what is your reaction Like to think of the league not allowing their guys? Like, did that make sense to you? And now does it make sense that they're allowing them to go back?
1: When you're looking from the league standpoint, you understand why they don't want their guys to play because it's simply just profit to them. They don't really look at these guys as humans, if we're being quite honest. They look at them as uh, the item. They are exactly the product, and they're what makes them the money. So is it worth the risk? No, it's not when you're a team owner. But – from what I was reading, there was little to no negotiation on this. The players wanted it so bad, it was just like, you have to do it. Because if not, you don't get that product. So it was the reward finally outweighed the risk, where now you're going to get the international play. And honestly, I love it because internet, it's just something different about international play. Whether it's basketball, baseball, soccer, you just see it. When you got the Stars not playing in their usual jersey, but they're wearing their country's uniform, it's just something Even if you don't watch the sport, you become a very patriotic – does patriotism work internationally? Either way. You become a very patriotic person. You watch that team. You become the biggest fan of that sport. During the World Cup, I swear to God, I am like Landon Donovan talking on the TV, pointing out plays and stuff. I don't know what I'm talking about, but you do get interested. Like, for example, Logan mentioned the uh, two different sizes of hockey rink. I didn't even know that was a thing. I assumed they were all the same size. So now here I am Googling it, and it's about 15 feet wider. Sorry, the glasses issue. It's about 15 feet wider, and the neutral zone's a little longer, too. And I think that's kind of crazy because, like Logan said, even if you're not a – well, I mean, Canada's Canada. Of course, they're going to be a dominant team. But let's just say you're not a Canada. You're another team who doesn't have as strong players. You can find that formula to actually lock it down and use that to your advantage because – well, might not work in the NHL with all this extra space, may work out here. It could be like college with uh Jim Boheim and his 3 2 uh zone, 2 3. Either way, you get my point, fellas. Yeah,
0: no, yeah, it, it's completely different when it comes to internationally with hockey. And it's like, well, Canada for the most part, like, people always expect, like, okay, Canada's gonna win this, there's where they're like, you get the upsets here and there. Like in, oh, I forget, I believe it was 06 when Sweden won the gold. Henrik Lundqvist being the backstop to that team and the players that they had, it showed you it's like, okay, well, Canada may be the, the country that, you know, people like to joke about, you know, those that don't watch hockey. Internationally, the the talent is there and it's grown exponentially. Like Logan kind of mentioned, we, we've dropped a couple of the guys, but Aho and Kotkaniemi are going to be playing for Finland. They're both below like 24, 25 years old. The fact that they're going to get this chance now, they're going to be playing for Finland for like the next three Olympics. Mm-hmm right and and uh, what's his name Kapo Kakanen, uh the backstop for the Minnesota Wild if he gets better if he keeps taking levels to his game he you know has a chance at helping finland get you know medal well in the olympics so the opportunity here for these young faces in the NHL to get to be on the world stage. Cause we always talk about with the Olympics, we mainly say this for the summer, but it's the case in winter too. It's the world stage. More, more eyes are on you. More people are paying attention. Casual fans will watch. Maybe people that don't really watch hockey will actually watch it for the first time. And like Logan said, with the Sidney Crosby golden goal in 2010, you get that moment. And when you make that moment, you could create a legacy for yourself and your name will be remembered. And that to me, I think, coincides with the fact that espn and tnt the next decade of nhl coverage is up to them so i think this is honestly look i think this had to have played you know a factor in the the ultimate decision by the nhl where with the opportunity of being on espn and tnt and now the olympics coming so soon it's like okay let's just put our players out there because i think the nhl knows as good as hockey is like it, it needs to keep growing and the olympics is that way where it's like to not have had the guys in 2018, like it almost, at least to me, it kind of feels like there was a little bit of a a half step back when it came to growing the game. And I think this, this chance with at the same exact time with ESPN having games and TNT, like, I think this was just like, you know, perfect place, perfect time in regards to the NHL players returning.
2: No, absolutely. It's great timing. And with all the young talent, it makes it even better. And it's especially fun for guys like us. I mean, we talk about these players on their, Respective teams throughout the year, you know, and, and we're not talking about guys on the world stage. We're talking about our NHL and our NBA and our NFL and all our players. But then for those two weeks, they're on the world stage and the rest of the world is seeing the guys that we talk about on a daily basis. And it makes it even more fun for guys like us, the guys who really follow and and really talk about it um every day right so it's fun in that way and i'm just excited to see some of these players you know i mean the line combinations people are already at it projecting how each roster will shape up it's going to be a lot of fun um canada there's going to be players there that have never represented canada at all and here they are for the first time same with the u.s team
0: yeah, you're gonna have guys who haven't represented Canada in international competition like since like the World Juniors for, yeah. for a couple of them, and it, it's gonna be big. So I, I'm excited for it. I think we all are. I'm sure one Vegas Golden Knights player is gonna make one of these teams, and James is gonna hook onto that country for for the Olympics. It's gonna be you the know.
1: greatest team ever. I swear.
0: <laughs> uh, of course, let let's send Vegas. Let's just send Vegas to the Olympics, even though they'll disappoint us at the end of the day, like they always do in the playoffs as well. You know we. We might as well just for the fun of it. What's your team? Yeah, fair point. Moving on. <laughs> moving on from all the hockey talk, of course, with the name name of the podcast says it all, we're now going to have a smooth transition here to the baseball side of things. And in the baseball world, kind of like I was talking before how, you know, late August, early September, this is like kind of the I'd say the dog days of the NHL and the NBA off-seasons. We just have gotten past the dog days of summer for Major League Baseball now as we are in September. And over the next, like, three, three and a half weeks, we're going to be having the playoff picture get finalized for these teams. And we're going to definitively see what the matchups are essentially by October, for the most part. You know, records here and there kind of indicate. But for the most part, like, we we know in certain situations who's making it, who's not. So as playoffs ramp up here, we're going to be definitely talking baseball in depth. And what better way than to grade some teams that made some decisions back, back in July. So James, I'm going to throw it over to you. Sum up for the people. What are we about to be doing for the next half hour or so on the podcast?
1: Well, I had a lot of free time on my uh, 12 hour delay at the end of my vacation. I thought we should start researching some of these uh, players that got traded after the trade deadline and see how they did. So I looked up a bunch of these players and I figured, you know what, let's give the people and show the results, show what people have actually made a difference to the teams that they joined and what people have just, you know, they joined the team. And I figure what better comparison and who better talk about it with than the guy we first initially talked about the trade deadline with and Mr. Lockhart himself. So I guess there's no better way to start this than let's talk about it with uh, the one player who got traded from your Texas Rangers, who you drew his name out immediately once we asked what move should we expect from them. And that is Mr. Joey Gallo, Logan. What is your opinion on how he's doing with the Yankees? Is this somewhat expected of him due to the fact that, uh, you know, he's Joey Gallo. He's known to strike out. He's known to go on these cold streaks. Currently, since joining the Yankees, he's hitting a a 130 with 61 strikeouts and 151 plate appearances with only uh, six home runs. So 13 RBIs as well. It's not what you want especially the guy who's bad from your two-hole. So, Logan, what's going on
2: here with Mr. Joey Gallo? There's just one word to describe Joey Gallo with the Yankees. That's streaky, right? I mean, in the Bronx with that short porch in right field, I mean, that seemed like a paradise for a guy like Joey Gallo and Anthony Rizzo. And Gallo is really going to enjoy it, I think, once October comes, if the Yankees can secure their playoff position. You know, I think of Gallo at the end of the day. All he does is give an extra threat. In the Yankees lineup. And I think if the Yankees do end up in the postseason, whoever they play, if they get past the wild card game and they're gonna get into a full tilt series, I think that pitching staff is gonna be well aware of who the Yankees have. And it's just an extra threat. You know, they needed left-handed bats. I understand he's not hidden for a high average. I think Joey Gallo himself has said in the past he doesn't even care about average. He's just a guy that's gonna look at OPS and different stats like that. I also have heard Joey Gallo say he hates striking out, which I find ironic <laughs> like so much. And he just doesn't like the strikeout. I heard him say that uh, when he when he was with the Rangers a few years ago. And I'm thinking he, he strikes out more than anybody. He must really not enjoy playing the game most of the time. I mean, that's that's just – that's like a
1: pig saying they don't like rolling in poop. You know, you just that... – it goes against what's going on over here. And you said it best, Logan it just doesn't, it's very ironic, I guess is the word. It doesn't make sense because that left porch was built literally for someone like Joey Gallo. So the fact that he's not helping you produce runs, but he did bring a little something to the locker room, I guess you say a little zing into it because they did start winning a couple games, but now they are back on a little bit of a cold streak and, At first, uh, I don't recall his first couple games. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm almost positive Joey Gallo had a hot first three games when he was with the Yankees. That's where the whole Italian stallion thing started coming from with Barstool and uh, him and Anthony Rizzo. So speaking of, let's talk about his teammate who got traded from the Chicago Cubs. He's actually doing quite well for the Yankees. He was exactly what they needed at first base because he is showing that gold glove and what a difference a great first baseman could do. Just strictly due to his defense because, you know, Glaber Torres, he's not a great shortstop. And Urshela was out a little bit at third. So, those throws the first probably haven't been as crisp. But when you have a gold glove like Anthony Rizzo, he stretches for every inch. And you've seen it. I've reposted it on Twitter multiple times. This man could go on his pinky toe somehow and stretch out 10 feet and then still scoop up the ball. I don't know how he does it, but he does it. But since he's joined the Yankees, he's actually provided a bat. It's not as much pop as you want from an Anthony Rizzo, but he's showing he's playing better than when he was in Chicago. He's had four home runs for 14 RBIs. He's actually stolen two bases. That's not something you see a lot from Rizzo anymore. And he's batting a 260 compared to the 248 he was batting Chicago. Is there anything you think besides you know, hit more home runs that Anthony Rizzo could do to keep amplifying this team?
2: Well, I think what Rizzo has done along with his on-field play is create this competition of Luke Voigt. And now Luke Voigt's on the bench saying, where's my chance? I led the league in home runs last year. What's going on? So I think it creates a dynamic, which could be healthy for the Yankees. You know, you kind of want that fire. You want guys who are hungry to earn their opportunity. And I think with Luke Voigt and the injuries he's had, this was perfect for him to say, you know what? I know Rizzo was here. I want to play at first base, and I want to be in that nine- Guys who are in the lineup just as much as anyone else. So I think this is healthy for the Yankees. It's good they created competition. I thought the Red Sox missed a big opportunity to bring in Anthony Rizzo. That's exactly the kind of player they needed. So I understand that people in Boston are saying, no, we don't need him now. You know what? I mean, at first base, um, it's going to be really important. And the Yankees brought in guys. Rizzo's won. Hey, it's not that long ago. They broke 108-year curse with the Chicago Cubs. Uh, the experience is there to do some special things. So I think they're going to like him in New York already that they have, but continuing going forward. Honestly, I love how you mentioned the
1: competition he's brought into the locker room with Luke Voy because Luke Boyd's been, like you said, there's a fire there. And not only is there a fire in Luke Voy is a fire in that whole locker room because there wasn't really a leader before he showed up. And, you know, everyone knows when he was in the Cubs, he was the captain. It might've been, he might have been up and down when it came to the stats and his at-bat appearances, but he always was the captain. There was no doubt about that. And it's good to see that he's bringing that to the Yankees as well. But moving on, we're going to talk about uh, one of his teammates that were there who helped him win that World Series. And that's going to be a Mr. Chris Bryant, who's now with the uh, my personal, the best team in the league. I don't know how you could argue with with the way they've just been playing all season. It's kind of crazy because at first you were questioning it. Even halfway through the season, you were still questioning it. But how can you question it after, you know, 100 games so far, whatever the number is? His stats actually have stood pretty average with how he was playing in Chicago. But he was exactly the player that they needed in San Francisco. He's had six home runs, 14 RBIs, four stolen bases, and he's batting a .268, which is just in line with his .267 in Chicago. Was this the move that the Giants need to be able to win that World Series? Do you think he has what it takes to take him there and become that MVP player when he won his former ring?
2: Well, with the Giants, it's almost been by committee. And I don't think that Bryant or one guy in particular can actually own that label and say, I'm going to take you to the promised land. I think Bryant's versatility on the field and once he's shown, that was perfect for San Francisco. Bryant's shown he can play at third base. He can go to the outfield. You know, with Evan Longoria having um, question marks about his health, he hasn't been on the field that often for the Giants this year. I think that was perfect. The fact that Bryant can really play anywhere that they ask him to, that was also perfect. I thought this was the right move for the Giants. And that was the only thing they did at the trade deadline. Let's not remember. I mean, there, there were a lot of teams that were active. You know, the Yankees made how many trades? The Giants, one trade. It was Chris Bryant, and I, I felt that was the recipe they needed to do. Just bring in one guy. They can bring the lineup together. It's been a team built on pitching this year. They just needed that one guy. Bring the versatility. Bring all that together, and I think the Giants are well-positioned for the playoffs.
0: Yeah, you talk about defensively, like when we spoke about Rizzo and the Yankees. Bryant has started in all three outfield positions for the Giants for a couple of games in his tenure so far. Like James said, like he, his offensive numbers are just about the same when from when he was with the Cubs to now this season but I think kind of like what we said with Rizzo it's the versatility that he brings it's that experience like the the recent championship experience that he brings to that team is just like that's something you can't teach like a guy who's won a championship who knows what it takes like that that that's something that when you bring it into the locker room you need to have and I think with the Giants kind of like what you said Logan like the whole is greater than the sum of its parts like no one player can own it on that team but they all can take that role on a different game on a different night and in the playoffs that's typically what you need where it's like on any given night one of your players can step up and hit that home run in like the bottom of the six when you need to tie up the game or you're making a comeback and chris bryant can be that guy to deliver in that spot so i think we're talking about was it the right trade i, I think it's pretty hard to argue especially if they can you know clinch the nl west title here and get home field advantage against whoever the wild card game winner is going to be especially if it's the dodgers that's pretty valuable in the best of five series
2: yeah, you know what, and whatever the playoff matchup is, it's going to be unbelievable. If it's the Giants and the Dodgers or vice versa, whoever has home field, I mean, I can't wait, honestly. It's all
1: me and Jerg have been talking about for almost half the season. It's just how insane the NL West is and how all three teams are potentially are fighting for or could make the playoffs realistically. But we're going to go ahead, move from the West, start talking about the East. And we're going to talk about a trade that I was very excited about when it happened. Now I'm like decently whatever about it. But I still like the player. I think it's going to work out in the future. We should have got pitching, but regardless. And that is a Mr. Javier Baez. Who? Yes, Jerry. Give me the thumbs down. I love it, to be honest. If he gets mad at the fans and it helps him do better or we start winning games, which we have been doing as of late, I'm all for it. Thumbs down me as much as you want, baby. He has been batting 261, which was actually a little lower, boosted up of recent. Uh, six home runs and 12 RBIs. Jerk, I'm going to throw this one to you first because you were I you were one of the first, if not the first person I texted when this trade went down. I was golfing and I just started yelling, which is exactly what you don't want to do on a golf course, but <laughs> I was very excited. So Jerk, how do you think this move is so far working out for the Mets, you know, with him thumbs downing us? Can we expect Javi Baez to be back next year?
0: Oh, man. Oh, so that's actually two different questions. So in terms of I think we could say this for all three Cubs players where they've gone is that there was something needed in all those locker rooms. I think whether bias is there or not, I think the Mets go through this you know stretch that they've had recently where they were going to lose the grip in the NL East. They were always going to lose the division lead there because they had never built it up, despite the fact they had ample opportunities early on. They, they just did. And now that Javi, Javi Baez is there, I think he's easily more of a help than a hurt when it comes to that. He just, he brings that energy. We're talking about leadership and things like that. Just like energy is something that I actually value a little bit more than probably most people would in a locker room. And I think Javier Baez brings that energy to that locker room, kind of like this bravado of when he steps up to the plate. Like he, he expects the best of himself on a, of course, all players do, but he expects like when he goes up there, he thinks he could probably hit a home run off of any pitcher in the league as he should. He's a talented player. He's won a world series, been an all-star, all that. And I think that's the kind of player, I definitely agree, like the Mets should have added some more pitching, especially eventually with DeGrom getting a bit dinged up, having to do rehab starts. But that aside, I think they needed that kind of hitter in the lineup where it's just, it's there mentally. You can't teach up here to have that level of swagger and confidence. And I think Javier Baez was the right person for that. Yes, though, like, honestly, when I did did the whole thumbs down thing as a joke, I loved it, honestly. Like so many people bashing him about it where it's like, like th- this is why like baseball and hockey we are akin where it's like when players actually show you know a little a little bit of emotion they get dog piled on by the fans and it's just like yet you want the players to show this and yet you crucify them i didn't hate it all i absolutely loved it i find, i find it very entertaining and if we were doing a show at that point like we would have had a ball with that on whatever on the episode for sure but i think javier Baez was definitely like the guy to have there i think it was a, a great trade there's been ebbs and flows to it yes I forget, you know, after that first home run he hit, like there was a little bit of a rough stretch, especially him and Lindor, like compounding that together didn't help, but they both played pretty well recently and no better time. The Mets need to get back because I think the only way they're going to make the, the playoffs, I think you could say this for any of the top three NLEs teams, the only way they're going to make it is whoever wins that division. So it, it's critical time here. And if Javi Baez, if he, if he brings in that swagger, if he starts playing well like that, that's just perfect. In regards to your second question, kind of a short answer, like do they bring him back? I don't know, like, Steve Cohen, He the thing that makes me say no is just the fact that he paid so much for Lindor, and already you're starting to have some questions about that contract, and it's like, do you want to take that risk with Baez? Like, Baez isn't going to be that much, right? Like, he, I don't think he should be commanding that kind of salary, but could I see a team offering Baez, like, 25 million a year to take him away from the Mets? Absolutely. And will the Mets match that? I don't know.
1: So, Logan, I'm going to start off with that big question for you now. Uh, Do you think Javier Baez comes back? And aside from that, I want your opinion as an outside New York area opinion of what do you think of the whole thumbs down situation? Are you in support of it? Do you not like it? Do you think it helped
2: us out the way I think? Well, actually, I never even thought about the perspective that you just brought up. The fact that, well, you know what? If that makes him play better, then good. Do it. I think actually you kind of uh, put an interesting thought in my head right there. Because, you know, before I'm thinking, you know what, I can see the fans getting on these two guys, Lindor in particular, knowing what the team's going to be paying him. But the thing about Baez is, you know, I mean, the guy's been here for 10 minutes and he's already having encounters with not only the New York media, but the New York fans. And I just I find it the whole thing entertaining. Will he come back to the Mets? I would be shocked if he did. And I'll tell you why. I thought this trade was a Band-Aid for the Mets. I thought that they haven't been healthy all year, and I thought Baez bringing him into the lineup was just that safety blanket of, you know what, we need a guy that's going to be here every single day. This lineup hasn't been together. The pitching staff's been banged up. There's been a lot of injuries going on, and Baez, bring him in. You know, and, and whatever happens, happens, and we'll deal with it in the winter. We'll see if he comes back. You know, I don't know. I think the Cohen point about him giving Lindor that money, that's a premium point. I mean, how can we ignore the money he just handed out to Lindor? So I think Baez, he's going to ask for a lot of money. We can have that debate, too. Who out of these shortstops is going to make the most? Correa, Baez, Seager, right? We don't know, right? Story. But the point is, is that Baez is in that category. Um, and I think that with the Mets, it's going to be a big, big ask. If someone, whether it's general manager, someone in the front office, is going to go up to Steve Cohen and say, we need to re-sign him. There's going to have to be a lot of convincing done, I think, for them to bring back Bias.
1: I mean, I don't doubt that one bit. I just, it hurts to hear say, but you guys are both bringing it like there's really no argument to it aside from you do know that Baez is willing to play second base and he demanded to only play second base for Francisco Lindor. But when it comes to money and all that, you know, everything gets tied up, but you did mention another shortstop in the league who also got traded. He wasn't the main piece of this trade, but let me tell you, he was a two way for sure. And that's Mr. Trey Turner who got traded to the Los Angeles Dodgers. He has brought exactly what they needed to repeat and become reigning World Series champions, in my opinion. He brought that little bit of speed that we're missing due to Mookie Betts having his hip injury and not being able to, you know, run, steal the bases, lead off like he usually does. And he also brought in batting average. He's batting 313. It's a little down from where he was in Washington, but I mean, hey, it's 313. You'll take it. He's also got. Three home runs, nine RBIs. You don't expect the power from him because he is an average hitter, but he brought the five steals him as well. What do you think of, aside from, you know, his teammate Mad Max taking over the entire Dodgers rotation, how do you think this insertion of Trey Turner has been for them? Is he an upgrade they needed
2: in the field, or was this more of just a luxury that they love to have added? I think right now, and I'm talking literally in the moment, it's a luxury. Next year, the year after, and the year after that, that is a necessity. That trade told me that Corey Seager probably not going to be an L.A. Dodger next year. That's what that told me exactly. And you can add in Scherzer as well. It also told me they don't expect Bauer to be back this year. So there's two things. It's Seager not being back next year, Bauer not coming back this year. You insert Scherzer, you insert Turner. And now you're looking at the Dodgers and you're going, wow, I mean, you're talking about 2021. These guys are serious about repeating. They're sick and tired of hearing about all the people saying it was a shortened season. That wasn't a real championship. They've had enough of that. They made the blockbuster of all blockbusters. And with Trey Turner, this has been a player who I felt has been underrated forever. And finally, he's going to get under the bright lights in L.A. I'm really happy for him. They needed that at the top of the lineup. Absolutely. You know, you were going to see scenarios where Max Muncy might have had to lead off at one point. You know, there was something about that. Bellinger can't hit anything this year. So you had to bring in another bat for sure because I had my concerns about the Dodgers before that trade. I was saying, I don't know. There's a San Fran team, very hungry. A Padres team, I know they've been really struggling on the second half, but you don't want to light a fire under them either because they can take you out too. They're just as talented. So I thought it was a necessity for sure. But right now though, you know, you really look at it, luxury, at the position for Trey Turner. Jerk, I want to ask you, what's your thoughts on Trey Turner and Mad
1: Max being added? Because I know before we had Logan, you were a huge fan of Washington. You were the leader of the Washington trading all their assets fan clubs. So what do you think of, aside from, as we mentioned, Mad Max just dominating completely, what do you think is the best parts of, uh, Logan missed any of these two players being added to Los Angeles.
0: Logan hit just about on anything. I would only just add one extra thing to what he said. The Dodgers are not just looking right now. It's a luxury and they're looking to repeat kind of like Logan said for next season, the year after I, I don't think this is just for a repeat guys. I think this is to get three championships within the next four to five. Oh, Counting last season, I think this is for them to win multiple championships over the next couple of seasons. I really do. This wasn't just a deal for this season. Scherzer's still under contract. Trey Turner, they're going to work it out. Like like Logan said, Seager's going to be gone. Bauer, when they, even when they signed the deal, there's opt-outs after each season. Like I'm sure they'll be able to get out of that because that situation has just gotten to a point where it keeps getting extended. Longest extension I've ever seen of one of these cases, I think, in recent uh, history when it comes to the sports of just like guys getting into these situations is just something where you you wonder for the you we wondered a little bit for the dodgers it's like dang you missed bauer seager i think he got hurt again this season at some point he just wasn't playing well it's like all right there's a little bit of holes in this armor of this amazing team that we see and this is where the real luxury is how nice must it be to just you know okay we lost bauer seager we may lo- let's bring in a, a turner and a scherzer real quick here and you, you bring what turner's doing Scherzer's 5-0 with a 1.05 ERA and 63 strikeouts mm-hmm. just with the Dodgers and a whip of 0.7 uh yeah, 0.767. Like, this dude's looking like the Cy Young winner again. <laughs> he's put himself in the Cy Young conversation in the second half. It's just next level what he's done. Like just a, a refresh for him. Uh, I was a big fan of it. And the Nats, they got a, like a very nice, very nice haul back for these two guys. And this is one of those deals where it's like for the Nats, you got what was the number one and two or like the number two and three prospects in the Dodgers farm system, who teams have been coveting for the last like two trade deadlines. And for the Dodgers, like I said, like this, this is not just for one more championship. This is for two more. This is for in the next four years, they want to still be in the world series convo. That's what these guys are. So heck yeah, I was a fan of it when it happened. And I'm still a fan of it right now because like I'm one for three right now. I said all four champions from 2020, were going to repeat the chiefs family, the Lakers family, Tampa Bay's got my back. I need the Dodgers to have my back, man. I need it. So, Yeah, I'm going to be cheering for it. But just like you're talking about pure power moves in baseball, like the Dodgers, they're the brokers. They're the brokers of that. They they've taken the Yankees role over the last decade. They really have.
2: Yeah. And you know what? They also stole that trade Scherzer and Turner, maybe maybe. Scherzer for sure from the Padres because it was reported. I think, you know, my time Eastern time four o'clock Scherzer's close to going to the Padres. We saw the same.
0: We saw the exact same thing.
2: There you go. And then what happened later in the day, Dodgers out of all the teams, it's pretty crazy. So that there's two sides to it. It benefits their own team, and it locks up their division. I mean, the Padres have been playing pretty pedestrian since that happened yep. on July 31st. It's the ultimate pettiness, and I love it. You know, when sports are petty, it's just its the
1: best thing because it's just pure entertainment.
0: This is the petty episode of the Bunsen Bruises podcast when it comes <laughs> to talking sports.
1: <laughs> so speaking of petty, we're going to go ahead and talk about the person the Yankees should have gotten because we've mentioned him multiple times in this show. He will be the last player we talk about. And that's the man we were preaching at the top of our lungs to be leaving Minnesota and come here to New York because he would help dominate and help win a World Series. But – Unfortunately, Brian Cashman has not listened to bunts and bruises. If he did, he would have made the move, and that was for Mr. Jose Barrios. While he has not been the greatest player in his uh, trade to uh, the Blue Jays, he's had a three seven nine ERA in the seven games started. He's three and two, but he has been that player that they needed. He injected another player into the starting rotation that was missing there because all they really had was Ryu. So I'm going to throw it to you, Logan. What do you think of Jose Barrios? Was it really a move they needed? Because when he was in Minnesota, he was uh, pitching a three four eight 4 8 ERA. So he's pitching slightly worse. And should the Yankees have pulled the trigger? Or do you think they're doing all right? Because Mr. Jameson Tallion, he became the uh, AL pitcher of the month uh, once or twice since the trade deadline.
2: That's right, yeah. And the way I look at it in my mind is, okay, the Padres lost out on Scherzer. So then they probably were looking at Barrios. And I said the same thing. Right. And you know what? The Blue Jays came in, and they outbidded everyone, and rightfully so, because they paid a hefty price to get Jose Barrios. Very hefty. Austin Martin is a prospect renowned around baseball. And, again, every team has their own rankings. I'm not saying that everyone loves them. And Simeon Woods Richardson, who was actually playing for Team USA at the Olympics in Tokyo. So those are two high-end prospects very hefty price for a pitcher in Jose Barrios, who has never actually lived up to that Cy Young label that we all thought he would have with the Twins. He just hasn't lived up to it. And it's unfortunate. He's a really good pitcher. I think he's a really good number two, a World Series number three. But to be an ace, number one, I don't see it right now. He hasn't lived up to it. Toronto does have one more year of control with him. So that's the positive there. But it was a hefty price. And if the Yankees don't make that trade, I can't blame Brian Cashman at all. That's real pricey. I, they went the cheap route getting Andrew Heaney, who's now in the bullpen. But that's a hefty price for Burrios. I just wouldn't be able to do it if I was Brian Cashman. They already gave up a lot of quantity, we have to remember, in the Gallo trade. yeah, Our prospects went to Texas. They didn't give up top-end prospects, but they gave up a lot. right? It was a quantity trade. I just didn't think they had the capital to necessarily do it.
1: I think the biggest factor of those two trades they made for Rizzo and Gallo as well was they – I'm almost positive they're paying almost none of the salary for those two players as well. So, you know, to end up having to grab Barrios, like you said, and he only has one more year control, he's going to have a hefty price tag. He's – like you said, he's a World Series number three starter. He's a good, solid two. He's not that ace, but he's going to demand ace money because someone, some way – I could see him going to Tampa. I could see him going to the Astros, and all of a sudden, he figures it out and becomes that Cy Young winner. Jerk, you were part of the train, uh, the bandwagon, the train, whatever you want to call it, of my man's being shipped out. You have any final thoughts on how he landed and how he's been playing as of late?
0: I'm the league leader in demanding players get traded and they get moved. I I, I take great pride in that. Uh, (laughs) but in all seriousness, like he's, he's played relatively fine in Toronto. Like you said, the stats relatively speaking, have been just about the same as they were in Minnesota. Some a little bit better, some a little bit worse. So if you're the blue Jays, when you look at that, it's like, okay, but I think what the blue Jays wanted to do here is they wanted to make it clear to all their young players. And it's never a bad thing to do this early. They wanted to make it clear to Biggio, Bichette and Vladdy. A lot of nineties fans got confused when I say those names and not add the junior, by the way, that's why I want to do that. Like a lot of people, like they don't understand in, in all sports, and maybe not so much in baseball and hockey, funny enough, because it's just not structured that way. But you need to show your players early. It's like there's a commitment to wanting to win here and to build a winner. And I think that's what the Blue Jays wanted to do in this deal. And heck, the bragging rights of, hey, we outbid the Yankees and the Padres for this guy. Like, you could take a little bit of pride and solace in that as well. I think from that perspective, I think you could argue, yes, you know, they, they did pay a pretty penny. Like, Logan's absolutely right. They, they paid a pretty penny to Minnesota, and it was a great pickup for the Minnesota Twins as they probably are going to have to rebuild here soon but kind of like what i'm alluding to here like minnesota just had a two three year window where they did nothing with it they didn't even win a playoff game the blue jays while they have the talent for their window should be in theory a longer period of time we thought of that about the cubs right and look what happened this season with that what needs to be understood in sports is that your window this as quickly as it opens it will get shut on you just as fast if not quicker because back in 2016 ask any cubs fan After winning that World Series, how many more World Series appearances they were going to have over the next five seasons? And then five years later, the three main pieces on that team offensively are all gone. So when you consider that, I don't. And of course, for Toronto, it's a little bit different because their guys are younger. They haven't hit that stage yet. They have plenty of team control left on those youngsters. But it's about, you know, not wanting to waste any time. So from that perspective, I actually like the trade because I'm a big fan of teams not not uh, wasting their window. I really am. Now, in terms of, like, your other question of, like, should the Yankees have done it? I think it, part of me says yes, part of me says no. I think Logan mentioned they gave up a lot of quantity in the other two deals. And it's like, what were you going to give up here with Barrios? Uh, like you said, just the one year left of team control. You're going to have to pay him. But at the same time, it's also like, well, and I agree with Logan. I actually think we need to use this in other sports more. Bar- Barrios, you hope he's an ace, but he's a number two regularly. But on a World Series team, he's your number three. Like, we need to have that perspective on a lot more players on a lot of other sports. Cause I'm telling you, a lot of you NBA fans are, you're kind of, you kind of don't know what you're talking about with some of the moves your team's made. But irregardless, in, in terms of Jose Berrios itself, like with the Yankees with Garrett Cole there, he'd be the number two. But then with how Jamison talian has been playing, then maybe could you put him as your three in the playoffs? And then it becomes that number three on the team. So that that's where I'm very 50 50 about. Same thing with the Padres as well. Like the lineup they could have had with Snell, Darvish. And Barrios, like, just the possibilities are fun, right? Like, it's fun to look back and play with that. But ultimately, at the end of the day, like, I don't fault Toronto for making the move because they want to show their young guys early here. It's like, hey, we, we want to compete. And I think, unless he just has terrible starts, which is a possibility, I'm not ruling it out. But unless he just has, like, terrible, terrible starts, like, he's going to play a key role here in the home stretch because the Blue Jays are a couple games out of the wild card. And look who holds both wild card spots right now. It's the Yankees and the Red Sox. How much, we're talking about this We're talking about bragging rights. How much would Toronto Blue Jays fans love it if they could take away the wildcard spot from one of the big brother teams in that division?
2: That's a division that you can look to, like NL West almost. I mean, there's three teams that can make the playoffs there. And with the AL East, it's really looking like the same thing. Tampa's going to win the division, and then you got two AL East teams battling it out. I don't want to ignore Seattle or Oakland because they're really making a push too. But yeah, Yankees-Red Sox wildcard game, I think if you're just a pure baseball player, observer you don't really have a rooting interest in anybody how can you not love that yankees red sox wild card game by the way guys red sox never been in a wild card game in their history so it it could happen this year and it might be against the yankees so how about that
0: it's only right that 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 would happen it's only right
2: all
1: right fellas and to wrap up our baseball segment who doesn't make the wild card out of the three teams because something tells me they're not all gonna make it so who gets knocked out is it gonna be the yankees
2: boston or toronto Logan, let's go with you. I think it's going to be a Yankees-Red Sox wildcard game. Toronto's the hottest team in baseball right now. Uh, they're 9-1 in their last 10 games. They're really playing well. There's just concerns about the bullpen I don't like that have lingered all year long, and I think it's going to be a problem in these final two weeks. I think the Yankees are going to turn it around. they won 13 games in a row. They're kind of struggling now, but they're going to get hot again. I know they are. The lineup's just too good. And Boston? It's tough with Boston because they've been a team that you thought they could win the division this year. And they went in such a bad route, almost like the Padres did. I still think they're going to find a way to get in, though. I trust Alex Cora. This is why they brought him in, back as manager for moments like this. So for that, Yankees-Red sox wildcard game. Kirk. While I
0: do think it will be Yankees Red Sox, I want to be a little bit unique. I want to say it's going to be a Yankees Blue Jays wild card game, because I think of those three teams, honestly, the team I have the least confidence in with their pitching is actually the Red Sox. Like, they were a team early on and we criticized this about them early, James, like it, back in season yeah, one consistently, like the biggest concern was pitching with the Red Sox. And now we're coming this late into the season and we still have those questions now. Like they they had just like the Giants, like the first 50, 60 games of the season, the Red Sox and the Giants were the two surprise teams. And since then, the Giants have more than held up there and the Red Sox haven't. Right. So it, it's getting to that point where it's like, are they going to make it? And while they they have like, I think it's two and a half or three game edge right now over the Blue Jays. One bad half week, they go. They have a bad weekend here coming up, and the Blue Jays keep on playing well, and it's a completely different picture. And this time, it's the Blue Jays flying high and the Red Sox going low. So, I personally like. I just want to see, and again, like I want to see the excitement. I want to see in a one-game scenario in the wild card. I want to see Garrett Cole have to pitch against those youngsters. I want to see Vladdy Garrett Cole in a one-game playoff. Let's go! So that's going to be my pick. That's
1: why I like to hear, Jerry. That's why I like to hear. All right, so as Jerk always likes to say, he's the intro, he's the starter, and I'm the you know, Mariano Rivera of here. I'm the closest, so Logan, just want to thank you one more time for joining us. Let people know where they can check out your work. Let them know where they could check out your tweets, your Instagram, your LinkedIn, whatever you want, man, throw it in there.
2: You can get me a Twitter at LGL Lockhart, and through there you can find out where to read, watch, and everything guys thank you so much it's always so much fun coming on with you two and good luck to the mets james really i, I was getting worried there because last time we talked we were saying they're gonna run away with the division. They, they're gonna fight they're gonna fight but I'm, I'm wishing you luck
1: i appreciate it logan i'm still worried you know we got on this little win streak but now nah, i'm still sweating the moment the, the goat went down it was like ah oh, we lost it there you go but regardless jerk any last words to the people for this week
0: Hey, just follow us on and Bruises at Twitter. We're five away from 100, guys. Help us get there. Like the, you know, there, there's milestones to these roads. And OTBN just reached 1K. We want to get to that level one day. But before we get to 1K, we got to get to the good old 100. We got to get to the Benjamin. So help us get there, y'all.
1: Please, and I promise we'll start being more active with it. We were just using it to retweet the show and whatnot. You guys could follow us. You know, Bars Talks and Jerk K40, but. We're going to start being more active on our actual page. Make sure to follow us on YouTube. Follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Like, subscribe, review. You know all that good stuff. Fast forward, give me my view, please. I promise I'll check your stuff out too. Regardless, we got week two coming up of season two. It's going to be even twice as – it's going to be hard to make it twice as good as this episode. But we're going to try our best. Logan, once again, thank you for joining us. Everyone else, we'll see you next week on Wednesday, 7 p.m. Peace. (music)